Mind Vine, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mind Vine podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mind Vine podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Mathers. And today we have two very special guests. We're going to talk psychology in honor of upcoming Psychology Week. And we have two psychologists here from Ontario Shores. I'd like to welcome Dr. Lauren David. Welcome. Hi. And Dr. Nadia Duso, who's also been on the podcast before. <laughs> so you're a veteran of uh, how we do things around here. So we're just going to have a, a chat about not just psychology, but specifically as it relates to the pandemic. And um, we were chatting just before we uh, start rolling cameras and, and recording, you know, just about the experiences over the last two years, you know, professionally. Um, is, you know, when I talk about psychology and the pandemic, what are the first couple of things that come to mind for both of you? There's been enormous change in terms of what I've witnessed, you know, in terms of the unit and how we run and like the impact on, I think, the kids that have had to be maybe sometimes stuck on our units or maybe sometimes not having the full team there at all times. Um, and then I think about outpatient when I do outside of Ontario Shores work and I think about everyone trying to get on Zoom or any of these platforms to try and kind of make a session work. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of changes in how we deliver service and I think a lot of changes in terms of how the adolescents experience it on the unit. Yeah, and to kind of echo what Nadia said, I think when you said the words that come to mind, pivot is one of them, <laughs> and overwhelm and fatigue um, alongside our, our clients, right? And, um, but the, the shift and how rapidly it had to go uh, to move to virtual, to get the clinicians on board, to get the technology set up for clients to get on board um, was huge and so rapid for so many, so many psychologists and so many clinics here at Ontario Shores. Um, and just like the toll it took on, on people. Um, you know, our, uh, I think our anxiety and depression we know from research and anecdotally have just really gone up. And so the need was higher than ever and just getting um, our services out there um, was hard. Just to give some, some context, like the environment here, um, we do have an outpatient service where we see thousands of people with various uh, mental health issues, but you know, we're also an inpatient hospital, which means uh, I think currently we have 346 beds where people are receiving inpatient around the clock care, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for very, you know, from adolescents to geriatrics, to adults, and uh, obviously our forensic program. And when the pandemic hit, um, all of a sudden these people who, you know, for lack of a better term, call Ontario Shores home, whether it's short term or long term, depending mm -hmm. on, on the reason for being here, um, didn't have a lot of options, right? Um, people can put in the context, like we all had to stay home, um, but we could go for a walk. Um, you know, we could go out to the grocery store um, and, and pick up things and do uh, some activities to help with our physical and mental mm -hmm. health. Whereas um, maybe you guys could talk about some of the challenges that the pandemic um, presented for people who are inpatients here. Like, you know, with the adolescents on our unit, it was heartbreaking to see the change and the impact on them. I'll, still, I'll never forget it. It was like that Wednesday or Thursday before everything just changed two years ago. Yeah. 
and you could feel something in the air. Like we could tell there was unrest. We could tell that there were going to be these changes coming on and we couldn't communicate to our patients. I know patients were hearing things from their parents and like they could tell that there was something going on, but we didn't even know what the scope of it was going to be. Um, and then all of a sudden the hospital just locks down, which of course is a huge, was a huge safety measure. Like we had to. Um, and watching the children's response to that was heartbreaking as well. Like that's the balance that I kind of put in my mind because you're right, I could leave every night, even though I'm going back to my home and I can't leave beyond that point, I had a choice to do something different. Whereas they were on the unit full time at this point, at some point even parents were limited in terms of how they could visit. We couldn't have more than one parent at a time and it had to be scheduled. And so even just seeing their family was different than, and than what they were used to being on the unit. Uh, thankfully, we have a team. So we had our rec therapist who stepped up and came up with this innovative ideas around how to like give them more and more activities on unit. How do we utilize our courtyard in ways that we haven't done before just to give them more space and choices. All of a sudden, they're, they're seeing me coming on with a mask and a visor and goggles. And so it just changes the dynamic and their kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot, a lot of change that happened very quickly for them. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the most, I think one of the most pivotal moments for me was when we had the, um, the holidays. Mm -hmm. And their holidays were very different. And there weren't passes they could earn home and there there wasn't the motivation system that we have or the reinforcement system where you know doing all of these hard steps means you get to go home or you get mm. to go on an outing or you get to do something uh, so that was really challenging to work through just so you know maybe people understand i mean i think it's kind of clear the role of caregivers and families play in our lives um, but when you're going through uh, something significant from a mental health perspective and you are used to having a family member come and visit you or at least come to see you on your birthday bring stuff to you which we couldn't do um, you know that all adds to um, the potential for recovery from a mental health issue without that um, you know how difficult you know was that period of time for some of our patients you know not just inpatients but outpatients as well I think for the um, the inpatient piece, it was tremendous. Like I felt the disappointment from the kids when parents couldn't do the things that they would want to do, like bring a slice of cake and like celebrate their birthdays or like take them off unit. Um, and there wasn't like passes home on weekends. So now children that were maybe a little bit more advanced in their recovery were used to kind of going home for like a day or two or an evening. Now we're not able to do that. So some for some kids, it wasn't so much they came in early, this, the pandemic hit them when they were on their way to discharge. And now they're, they felt like their progress changed or their, their recovery could be impacted. At least those were the worries. And those were the worries from families as well. Like we talked to the kids, but we also had to talk and communicate that to families that there were these changes in place. Everyone worked together really well. We kind of made it work. We, we, we changed things. We tried to discharge as much as we could in ways that felt safe for both parents and kids if we could. But yeah, there was a lot of adjustment. Yeah. What about from a professional, like a clinician standpoint, like how exhausting was this period in time, not just the last two years, but if you think back to those early days, like what was it like professionally to go through that? It was really hard. And I, I mean, I'll preface that by saying that I think some, I mean, healthcare professionals, you can't lump us all in the same group. So for instance, I was able to work from home, a huge privilege in this time to feel 
um, you know, secure. And a, a lot of my inpatient friends didn't have the same luxury. And so, um, and yet exhausting for, for many of us um, on so many different levels. I think also to Nadia's point, just seeing the suffering in clients, our own suffering with not being able to see friends and family and the, you know, the isolation that it produced and the, the it depended again if people had families at home and but sometimes it was frustration and boredom. Sometimes it was completely overwhelmed. A lot of my colleagues with no childcare trying to do therapy, you know, throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, so it really, I mean, it really shined a light on how we have to take care of our mental health as clinicians as well. Like suddenly we weren't just the coaches, we were the players mm -hmm. and figuring it out alongside, you know, the world. And, you know, how do you support someone else going through something that is pretty foreign waters for yourself? Mm -hmm. and um, so I think now two years in, we have a lot more insight into how to take care of ourselves. And of course, things aren't as uncertain maybe as they used to be, or, you know, lockdowns have been lighter, but, um, you know, certainly observing our limits and kind of starting to say no to things, how to, um, you know, pay attention to that inner intuition around mm -hmm. what you, how you could extend yourself, but also where you couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and then our own self-care, like even if it didn't involve family and friends, like how do you get some sort of break? For, so being at home, it was like the laptop was always there and you, it was harder to separate from work. It was much different than leaving the office and coming and going back to your home. It was like it was always there, a little harder to turn off. Um, so I think self-care looked different for different people. Um, but uh, for me, it was kind of an exercise of like, I have to sit down and think about this and actually like mm -hmm. put effort into what am I, you know, the things I used to do to cope mm -hmm. um, weren't there anymore. And I know that was the same for a lot of my colleagues. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you saw during the pandemic or that were sort of like, obviously from a mental health issue were um, from patients and you no, know, we'll start with, with, with patients. Like, were you seeing, in like, I would think, increased anxiety? Mm -hmm. We've heard recently about uh, eating disorders were on the rise during, you know, the pandemic. I'm sure there's others, uh, other issues that saw an increase as well. But like, uh, what were you guys seeing in terms of what we were dealing with from a patient perspective, like at various points during the pandemic? Yeah, I'd start us off, mm -hmm. and then I'd be curious yeah. your what you've seen. Mm -hmm. But it was so varied. Um, you know, I'll start by actually talking about some people who found. Like ironically, the pandemic a little bit easier. So I'm thinking of a depressed client who said, finally, everyone's inside with me. You know, I used to look out and feel like I was missing out on all these things. And, you know, it's kind of a little lighter to feel like everyone's stuck at home together. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm not as alone. Mm -hmm. um, and individuals with anxiety who said, finally, you know, these unproductive yeah. worries that I have, <laughs> I'm suddenly productive and I can do all the things you know, it's scenario 108 and I finally, you know, I have a plan and I can enact that. And, mm -hmm. um, but then overwhelmingly for most people it was, you know, whether it was new onset of anxiety or depression or exacerbating pre-existing mental health conditions that they had. Um, I think health anxiety stands out as one, obviously, you know, where we really try and, you know, teach people who might have a lot of sensitivity to like physical sensations and get very anxious about their physical sensations. We usually talk to them about, you know, paying attention to other things and focusing externally. And then all of a sudden the world is telling you, check in, do you have a sore throat? Are you feeling tired? Do you have a cough? You know, a real spotlight on like paying attention to those physical sensations, which for many people brought up on a lot of anxiety. And um, of course, like, what if I have it and give it to my, my mom, my dad, you know, my neighbor? What if they die? You know, we just didn't have the data initially to know, 
you know, usually we, in uh, our interventions, we use data and we say, well, what are the statistics? You know, how likely is it that it's a brain tumor? Mm -hmm. And we were going, we don't know. We don't know. Um, so that was really hard. Um, and then eating disorders, absolutely. So I think it's happened in stages, but, um, you know, initially it was the panic buying of food and the scarcity of food mm -hmm. that kind of was like disruption to people with eating disorders. And then, of course, regular eating patterns being disrupted because you're not in a usual structure. Um, you know, just the, and then, of course, just the stressors that can trigger urges mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it, in so many ways, it was really devastating. And the, not to mention the social media content about lose, you know, 15 pounds during the pandemic and, um, you know, that real focus on mm -hmm on kind of wellness and dieting mm -hmm. uh, and the fear of gaining the COVID-19, you know, the, all these things that really kind of, um, you know, were in the spotlight on social media. And normally you can turn to your support people and you can go, you know, take a break from that. But when it was your only source of kind of entertainment, that was really hard to steer away from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that like different that you saw, whether from even uh, colleagues in terms of what they were dealing with? I think that I think that you know very much what Lauren has said is that it's like you you're in this place with everyone else like for the you know as clinicians we were kind of experiencing it with our patients so it wasn't that we were outside objector objective like typically when we think about this stress you know sometimes we can take this objective stance and like join with them and understand it from their perspective but it's a lot harder when you're also experiencing the distress in the same ways or different ways so the questions sometimes around you know, how do we get through this? What's the evidence? How do we challenge? How do we create a balance is really hard when we can't sometimes know for sure really where the balances are yet. There was a lot of unknowns. And so what I saw was anxiety for sure going up. I saw mood symptoms a lot more like with adolescents feeling helpless or hopeless. Like they're already thinking about going back to school and how hard it's going to be. And now there's potentially no school to go back to. And so what does that even look like? What's the point of getting better if they don't have anything waiting for them on the other end of this? Um, a lot of anxieties around, you know, um, what the community was going to look like, especially those that had been with us for a chunk of time during the pandemic. Discharge was really hard because now we're discharging them into a place that has felt very different. Their home felt different. They couldn't see their friends once they left. So a lot of the supports that would naturally be in place were no longer in place. Eating disorders went sky high, like in terms of body image and the focus on body image. A lot of Instagram influencers around how to take care of your body, like positive messaging. But I think if you're already struggling with focus on your body, then it can get trans translated into different obsessive thoughts around that and like how to gain some control back in a time that you don't have any control. Um, so we saw, we saw a lot of waves in terms of that. And interestingly now that things are lifting, which is I think what you were saying as well, it's those that have felt protected by the pandemic or felt not protected, but maybe maybe a little bit, like everyone's joining in and we're all in the same place, are now experiencing more anxiety because things are opening up and now they have to go back to work or now there is this pressure to kind of leave their home again. So we see a bit of an influx as well um, around people having to go into the world again if they've been away for two years or been able to work from home. You, you know, you both kind of touched on social media and I'll kind of lump it together with traditional media in terms of the messages we're receiving. You know, there's been stages in the pandemic, especially early on, where that was that was the news. You know, that was all that was in your timeline if you were on social media, and it certainly was uh, all that was on TV. 
and and none of it was positive <laughs> and uh you know so like thinking of our, how diverse our population is they might consume information very differently but um the information they were receiving would have been you know similar in nature uh what kind of impact can that have uh on us as humans when you know we're going through this incredible time of uncertainty and then everything we're consuming or the the media that we are consuming is is negative in nature so like i wonder from a from a mental health standpoint like um you know how dangerous was that period of time or like you know if we think about what we might uh, come across in the future uh in terms of similar challenges like is it something that we really have to be careful with with the kind of how we're consuming media you know what was really interesting is mm -hmm. when you talk about media consumption is that i think it was very at least in the outpatient anxiety depression world, is that you saw people either like consuming so much of it. Like I, it was quite a consistent pattern that people were keeping track of the deaths and you know mm -hmm. really kind of like le like checking in all the time with the news to see what was going on, and then a whole other group who just like couldn't even look at it once. And so it was building and like what does healthy media consumption at this time look like? Mm -hmm. Um, especially when it was such an like an ever evolving landscape, like you didn't, you know, we actually had to kind of tune into what was going on. Um, so we had to negotiate that with clients and kind of go, what would feel appropriate here? You know, is it once a day for ten minutes in the morning, and just to kind of see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of the amount of consumption, and and also of course the sources, like what types of media are you looking at? Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, it's not very trendy to talk about, you know. Uh, it, it, you know, it's trendy to talk about the, the nightmare of it and the disaster of it. So it, it's really latching on to that part of, um, of us that, are, you know, our fear center that's kind of going, oh my gosh, is this really happening? Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of that within treatment of, of like figuring out where the balance was. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is in the research prior to the pandemic is that we do know that the less lethal diseases get the most media coverage. So we already knew that was a problem for people with anxiety pre-pandemic whereby, you know, flesh-eating bacteria gets, you know, a lot of media coverage or these things that are kind of very rare and, you know, as much more, you know, as sensational on the news than heart disease and things that are actually more life-threatening. And so we had to kind of build that in. Uh, we, we did talk about that where, you know, what is it actually, what is the news actually talking about? Where is the risk? How big is it? What do we know? And also, we have to be really careful about how much we buy into um, what the new, you know, the headlines especially. You, you touched on it earlier, just like um, going through this with the patients, the people you're trying to help. You're, going, you're experiencing this all together and how unique experience that is, right? Like I would think... You know, from if I, you know, was guessing what's like to be a clinician, I would think you have this base of knowledge and understanding, and you're um, you're working with a patient. You're trying to you know give them context and like you know ground uh, some of their beliefs and you know and uh, evidence and and all that. When this is going on, you don't have any of that to rely on, let alone uh, you know anything else that you might be struggling with. How like. Um, like personally, did this experience, this journey, um, did it change you as like a clinician, you know, as a person? Like, what kind of impact did this kind of experience that you went, this journey you went on with your clients together? Like, how did it influence you? 
it, to be honest, like when this first started happening, I was scared. I was scared to come to work. I didn't want to come to work. I was like, I'm going to get COVID and kill my family. Like I was so in a catastroph catastrophized mindset. Like I was just all worries because I didn't know anything about it. And it happened so quickly and I was scared. And then I started to think about, well, you know, I need to kind of bring it down. I need to kind of look at what my anxiety is about. I need to look at what my worries are about. I need to kind of center myself because I know I need to go to work and I want to go to work and I need to help my patients through it as well. And so I started to join with them around the anxiety. Sometimes I would use my own fears around it to, to better understand their fears, to kind of see what I've been doing to help myself through it and how can I kind of instill some of that hope in them as well. Like what would be helpful ways of challenging it and validating it. Like it helped me validate what they were saying when I knew that I was experiencing it on some level. And, and I could be that person that can say, yeah, it is really scary and really mean it. Like I knew what that meant. Typically when we validate, we, we try to join. We, we, we kind of understand it enough to do that. But when you're experiencing it as a clinician, I think that validation is all the more powerful because they can see that you're doing it too, that you're experiencing it, especially visually. Like I'm now speaking to clients with masks and shields and sometimes gowns if they've been suspected of having exposure. So they know that it's different for me as well. So there was some real opportunities to build some close connections. Um, I mean, I had one of my patients, it was such a heartwarming moment and I hadn't thought of it, but I, it, there was a moment where we were virtual and um, he was on an out, he was an outpatient at that point and we had just had a goodbye session and it was the team and, and it was him and his parents and they were at home and we were in our offices. And he's like, wow, it's the first time I've seen your face. And I've worked with this kid for eight months. And I was like, wow, you've never seen my face. Mm. And it never dawned to me that that would be something he would pick up on. But that's the kind of joining that we had, I think. Um, and the unit felt like a family on so many levels because it wasn't just me. It was the nurses. It was the rec therapist. It was the psychiatrist. We were all coming in together this really scary time. So I actually think it brought us closer as a team as well. Mm -hmm. Were any of the vulnerability have an impact on on you as a person? It's such a good question. Yeah. I haven't actually given it much thought, but I really resonated with what Natty was saying in terms of, I think we always, I think as psychologists especially, the ones I know, I really work to not be experts they, with the client to be a team and collaborative. And it was just a really important reminder of that we weren't experts, you know? <laughs> we know how to listen, we know how to reflect, we know how to be curious and collaborative. So we were, kind of having our own zoom in experience where our anxiety was telling us really scary things and you know how are we going to cope and the client was having the same experience and we kind of had to like do this together and like look around and go okay what do we know what's you know just being curious together and I think you know in, in our therapy sessions I had to kind of acknowledge my limitations and kind of talk we had a little bit more self-disclosure than I think yeah, previously I would have done yeah um just to you know, connect with clients on that level. It's just such a shared human experience. And of course, it wasn't going to be exactly the same, mm -hmm. um, but just to kind of connect with them and be curious together about what we knew. And, you know, a lot of that time was looking at, you know, if someone was struggling with anxiety, it was looking at the guidelines and kind of going, okay, we, you know, if we have anxiety, the temptation is going to go to be go really conservative <laughs> and not see anyone. We kind of have to inch up towards the guidelines. And part of that was practicing what I preached, like, yep. Um, trying to navigate this place of like, uh, you know, 
trying to be balanced in how I was living within the pandemic based on my own values, but because I was working with clients to help them do that too. So complicated, but I would say that collaborative piece and being a team was a, a real takeaway. One thing in the pandemic that's become, you know, almost uh, our new normal has been like virtual care, mm-hmm. which I know you have extensive experience, you both have experience, but in terms of your relationship with Ontario Shores, you've been doing a lot of virtual uh, work. And it's interesting because lately, as we're opening things up and welcoming patients back, you know, in person, we've met a few who um, are now sharing their stories. So they're in a good place uh, in terms of their recovery and they, you know, they want to share their story to inspire others. And they've come to the hospital where they've met their clinician in person for the very first time, right? So they've done everything virtual and yet still had a positive outcome. Uh, so what has been, you know, like your experience, I, I'm guessing that um, prior to this, you maybe didn't have a ton of experience in, in providing virtual care, maybe maybe you did, but what, what has the experience been like? And have you seen um, a real positive impact in terms of being able to deliver care that way? You know, what's interesting is I happen to have had a ton of tele- uh, telehealth experience before, and that was, I know, pretty unique. So in my graduate training, I did a bunch of telephone therapy. So actually having the video felt like a little bit of a bonus to even get the body language and things like that. But um, still very different going, you know, even when I was doing telephone therapy, it was, you know, still having some in-person clients. So to shift all to virtual was quite something. Um, and I know that for some clients, you know, you definitely missed the in-person you know, it's so client specific, Mm -hmm. miss the in-person piece around, you know, normally I'd have my emotion regulation tools right there in the office. So like we'd throw a ball together when they were getting dysregulated or I'd pass them a tissue when they were talking about difficult things. And, you know, um, those like intangible pieces that you, you were missing and a collaborative writing, like how to write things down together. And now it's you share a screen and then my face gets really small. And so there's pieces that I, our just technology probably just has to, we did so much health psycho- or telehealth psychology before, mm-hmm. but like really needing it to be quite seamless and there's still some work to do there. And then some clients who loved it, it took away barriers to access. I got, you know, at least initially a lot less no-shows, a lot less lates, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they didn't have to, you know, get up and get on the bus to get to to the center. So um, I do think it it just depended. And I think that's where a hybrid model will be hopefully really accommodating for everyone. I mean, a huge piece is uh, individuals living in rural areas. So we do work, have partnerships with indigenous health centers and where the internet access just isn't as available and the service isn't as good. And it's just, that's where this virtual piece falls so short is, Mm -hmm. especially for our minority populations. And that's been really hard um, to navigate and to make sure that we're being equitable um, when we had to pivot so quickly and it wasn't in a planned fashion. Mm-hmm. As you know, as we sit here today, we're in a, an environment where things are opening uh, or have opened and are progressing that way. There is, you know, always, I think we're going to be living in this new world for quite some time where there's going to be uh, spikes and different uh, times where public health is going to be more prevalent in our uh, on our minds, as we, as we look towards the fall and the winter, and maybe seeing those increases, and maybe maybe having to um, revisit some restrictions and protocols, um, 
Like, do you have concerns about our ability, like collectively, not maybe not just talking about patients, but just as, as people to adapt to these changes? Like, are there things that we should be um, cognizant of as we kind of progress down the reopening and potentially uh, closing world for the next little while? I think, there's, I think we need to be mindful of our own wear and tear on this, like really do our own self-checks, see where we are, make sure that we're doing all the basic things we tell our clients to do, eat, sleep, create a work-life balance, because even with telehealth, one of the risks that you overdo, because it's right there, it's easier to kind of blur the boundaries between work balance and life balance. Um, so really just taking care of ourselves and, and doing those things that matter to us so that we can contribute more to the patients that we have. For sure. Yeah, and I would add, you know, I think um, we just know based on how mental health works that, you know, we wouldn't expect this to be a tap that just turns off once the lockdowns are gone. You know, this is something that's going to have ripple effects and repercussions for a really long time. Just the, the chronic stress environment we've been under for two plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, and we would expect things to get better mental mm -hmm. health-wise once things open up. Mm -hmm. um, but just to kind of, I guess, brace ourselves and a bit of like acceptance around the fact that, uh, you know, anxiety might not fully kind of resolve and the mood impacts and just like doing the things you used to do pre-pandemic might not feel as seamless as you would hope. It might be like running after a broken leg where you know, yes, it's just like muscle memory, but it's just a little bit different and you're not used to it. And so I think just being gentle with ourselves as clinicians, and I'm encouraging clients to be as well when kind of easing back into things mm -hmm. and also not avoiding easing back into things. Like I think we have to make an intentional effort, especially mm -hmm. for folks with social anxiety, like they're bracing for, you know, reintegration into, you know, going back to social gatherings and, mm -hmm. you know, to it's that balance of like, you know, taking care of yourself and really trying to create a plan where you get back to some of those pre-pandemic things. But as you said, like, and then we get another lockdown. <laughs> you know, I think everyone was excited last winter, was it? And mm -hmm. then around the holidays, and then it got That's closed hard. down again. Yeah. And, you know, gyms closing and all these things they had planned. And so it's, uh, I mean, talk about going alongside clients. Like, there's no, it's uncertain. It remains uncertain. It, and as we see, whether this will become endemic and we just live with COVID and, mm -hmm. you know, we'll have to adapt as we go and use the data as it comes to figure out how to manage our mental health. Is there anything that you discovered about how to balance your own mental health and physical health during the pandemic? Like we, we I know a lot of people picked up new hobbies, new activities because that were, you know, um, COVID friendly. Uh, and, you know, obviously our patients had to try new things because uh, opportunities were, were limited. Was there anything in, in your lives that you picked up that uh, under necessity that it's become a passion or anything that, you know, you'd like to share in that regard? Hmm. I think I value, so the self-care for me piece is really about eating well, exercising, finding innovative ways to do that <laughs> in the condo. <laughs> <laughs> So I am doing jumping jacks in my husband's study, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but I think that um, I, I think that I've really, you know, someone told me once that you never know when it's the last time you'll see somebody, and you'll never know when it's the last time you get to hug somebody. And I never really paid attention to that. And I'd always say, you know, my nephew is my favorite person in the world right now, and I'd always say, okay, I'll see him next week. But now I'm like, every moment I have with him, as an example, I really cherish because I think, oh my gosh, what if, you know, I'm, I know I'll see him next week, but I, I really, 
I'm very present focused right now. I, I really try to maximize and be fully present in the moments that I have with my family, with him specifically, and just trying to just be present and, and not thinking about a hundred million other things and just focusing on the things that I, that I have right now, which are really important. Yeah, I guess the whole taking things for granted, right? It was a real yeah. call for all of us, things we used to do just instantly taking away. Yeah, you'd always be, like, I'd always be multitasking, and I'm like, no, 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 no multitask. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both for, for being here and having this discussion and uh, sharing about not only your uh, professional, but your personal experiences over the last two years. Really thank you so much for having us. Thank you.